Welcome to episode number 55 of Off the Shelf. You are so My name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over 100 countries, and we are glad you could join us. The aim of Off the Shelf is to help people know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The podcast is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. I want to welcome onto Off the Shelf today two special ladies, the two ladies in my life. My wife, Cindy May Bergen, and my daughter, Anna. Welcome, ladies. Thank you, Rod. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so they've heard a number of the podcasts, but I thought it would be worthwhile to talk to them to find out their views on the message, and I'm sure everybody would be curious to find out a little bit more about the inside of what goes on in our lives after having come out of the message. So we'll start out with uh, Cindy. How did you come into the message? Well, actually, I'd have to say it was probably boils down to friendship, but I wasn't intending to come into the message as such. Well, the church at the time really wasn't in the message per no, se. No, it wasn't. And at the time, I was basically very disillusioned with church as I knew it because it was just so dead. So I was looking for somewhere that the Spirit of God was really moving and where my soul could be fed. And this is back when? This is in the early 1970s. Which is when we first met as well, as we met at the church and got married at the church in Cloverdale. No, we didn't. Oh, no, we didn't. Sorry. <laughs> I we got married in Dawson Creek. Yes, you're right. We got married in Dawson Creek, which is where Cindy was from. How could I forget that? <laughs> That's one thing about your wife always corrects you when you're wrong, and she's normally more right than I am. Right, Anna? <laughs> you to stay out of this. <laughs> All right. Um, so that was back in the early 70s. Anna, you were born in the message. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you growing up in the message? Well, I think specifically growing up as a girl in the message, um, I have to say it didn't really make a difference, I think, much um, until I was in middle school. Because when you're young, you don't really care what you're wearing. And I had lots of friends at church and spent lots of time with them. and. 
Life was good. Yeah, life was good. Um, I think it started to get tougher as a teenager. Uh, I didn't mind so much standing out of the crowd in middle school because I had a lot of friends from church with me. Um, but when I went to the new high school in grade 10, I think it took a toll on my self-image and my self-confidence. Um, I was really confident in grade 9, but as soon as my friends from the church were gone, it was hard just being on my own and knowing that um, the people I was trying to make friends with um, were judging me on my appearance and often it was the girls that took it personally and I'd get asked stuff like you know do you think I'm going to hell because I'm wearing pants and yeah have to really kind of show people my character and my personality so they would get over the fact that I dressed differently. And this was a Christian school. Yeah. Which is kind of important to understand that probably the differences probably more profound in a Christian school than they were in a in a secular school. Well, and I think part of that was that we had a uniform and mine was the only one with the skirt past my knees. So <laughs> I mean it was leveled the playing field for everybody else, but not for me. So one question that we get asked is that uh, when you're in the message, did you actually believe it? And people often say, well, you came out because you never really believed it. You were not, you left because you really never really believed it anyways. So Cindy, what about you? Did you believe the message? Mm, well, I... I guess now I kind of have to say I'm a bit ashamed to say yes I did because <laughs> it was very gradual the way we came into the message and I just trusted people instead of really checking out things and comparing things and looking into the to the discrepancies myself I trusted people to know better than me well we all did so that's but, you know, definitely, I mean, I gave my life for what I heard and what I believed. And basically, I had a very good life in the message. And I loved it. I loved the people. And, I mean, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them through my home. So. And, and I think it's being said that people in the message are really wonderful. They are open and friendly unless you disagree with them, as we found out since we've left. Yes, since leaving. But I think also that I found most of the people that I was close to were good traveling companions on a Christian life. And they were helpful to me, and they appreciated us, and we loved them, and we had a mutual relationship with most people that was very congenial and compatible and yes we all believed the message the same we thought it was wonderful and so that was what we fellowshiped around a lot as the years went by and we became more and more and we thought ingrained. we had the truth and we yes. thought other people didn't have the truth yes we we definitely i mean if we didn't think it was true we wouldn't have believed it but we actually felt it was true what about you anna did you actually believe the message i mean you certainly underwent some persecution uh, <laughs> yeah right when you're in the christian school so. i mean I, I yeah i absolutely believe the message um 
I was a front row amener, um, and I wasn't going around doing stuff behind anybody's back, right? And some you people were. You were. were. <laughs> you were a good girl. Yeah. You know, and even some of the rules that were kind of dumb. <laughs> Which is um, right. Know, I followed all of them, and uh, I think I'd make quite a good Pharisee. Um, <laughs> no, but I didn't actually believe it. But there were people that preached personal convictions as doctrine. Things like you shouldn't wear a jean skirt with a fly in the front, yeah, which I always thought was ridiculous. a stupid rule. <laughs> and it was somebody's opinion, but somebody, uh, the founding pastor preached over the pulpit one day and everybody then glommed onto it and it just took off a life of its own and it became a really doctrine that everybody had to comply with. And if you didn't, you know, it was, you're not really someone who's pressing in to the kingdom, yeah. right? But I'm not really a rule breaker. So, you know, for me, it was easy to comply. It really didn't bother me one way or the other. You know, funny little things like that. And I always felt like, you know, some little thing like that is not going to derail me. I, I felt like I should have more spiritual maturity than that to let that knock me off the rails like that didn't affect my walk with god no no but i mean i when i when i had something annoying that you had to change all those skirts yes follow your sewing machine just so we're not going to offend anybody oh, really i didn't realize that you changed I, I changed yes i changed oh my goodness i took out the sewing machine and i changed some of my skirts and moved the, the zippers to the side because i thought well i don't want to stumble anybody but it had nothing to do with the gospel. I know, but the fact that I was your wife and you were in the leadership of the church. So I didn't want people looking at me and, say, and saying, well, Cindy does this or that. So then it must be okay for me. I, I didn't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. So I just thought, well, I'll just keep things. I remember, <laughs> I, I remember at a Wednesday night service, somebody preached against suspenders. And I, at the time, was wearing suspenders underneath my suit. And so after the service was over, I thought, this is like, where is he getting that? <clears throat> so where does it say in the Bible the suspenders are wrong? And so I, I walked up to this minister as he came off the platform at the end of the service he, came, service, he came walking into the lobby. And I said to this brother, I said, uh, I, I have a, dis, a bit of a disagreement with you with something you said tonight. He said, oh, what's that? And I said, the whole issue with wearing suspenders. Uh, I don't understand how you can say wearing suspenders is wrong. And then he said, well, why not? And I took my suit jacket and I opened it to reveal that I was wearing suspenders. And his reaction was, oh, brother Rod. <laughs> and, and I just go, you know why I wear suspenders? I wear them to hold my pants off. I could wear a belt too. Now, I've been told by a farmer friend of mine that you shouldn't trust someone who wears a belt and suspenders, but either a belt or suspenders are both commonly worn to keep one's pants from falling down around their knees. So I think that's acceptable, an acceptable article of clothing. But it was, it was pretty funny when I, the look on his face when I kind of opened my jacket and showed him the suspenders I was wearing it was pretty funny. Yeah, we had a, a session at camp once and there was a, a sister from church sitting up on the platform and she normally wore gray and black and she had this really nice 
you know, summery skirt on and a, a nice top. And everyone, wow, she looks really nice. And then launched into a lecture of why we shouldn't wear capped sleeves, cap sleeved shirts that were, you know, the sleeves were too short. And uh, what is a capped sleeve? I don't <laughs> understand what that is. No, no. Well, tell me what a cap. What's a, a cap? Oh, it's a short sleeve. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like you know, her skirt was below her knees, but not quite covering her whole knee when she sat down. And so it was, you know, all these like little rules that we were supposed to follow. So and it was just funny because everyone was complimenting her when we walked in because she actually looked really nice. Well, I, I remember someone. <laughs> Uh, a woman walking up to me when I was leading uh, the worship service and said, oh, we have someone wants to sing a special today. Uh, they're, they're a guest, they're visiting the church, and I don't think you should let them sing. And I said, well, why not? Well, this person has a slit in their skirt. And I go, okay, they have a slit in the skirt. And I knew this woman could be quite legalistic. So I said, so if I cut the slit off, at the top of the slit, would it still be well below the knees? Well, yeah, of course, but it's a slit. And it, it was a, in fact, the, the, the skirt went down Full to her, skirt. went down to her ankles and the slit just <laughs> helped her walk. It was like a slit, six inch slit. And somebody's going like, like somehow that's wrong. I mean, it's just bizarre. No, Completely is. bizarre, people's, uh, people's rules. <laughs> so can you, Tell me uh, what started your journey out of the message personally. I know, you know, from my side of it, uh, what I saw, and, and I've talked to our listeners on this podcast, and, and if they haven't heard it, they can listen to my story in episode one and episode two of the Off the Shelf podcast where I tell my personal journey out of the message. But for you, what was it like? What kind of difficulties, what kind of struggles did you have? What were you thinking when, and what started your journey out of the message? Anna, do you want to start? Sure. I think what started it is one summer, I was looking for a summer job, and I just felt like um, in the church, there really wasn't an outlet to, to really like do anything for the Lord. Um, I kind of felt like my hands were tied. Um, there was really no outlet. I mean, you could help out like, you know, wash dishes at camp and, or be a counselor if you wanted or teach Sunday school or something, but it was never anything that was outside of the people in our church. And I just wanted to do something more. Um, so one summer I decided uh, instead of just getting a you know, a summer job at a store or something, I would go to, uh, I went to Alberta and I worked at a Christian uh, summer camp. And it was a great summer. Uh, I worked as a cook and it was a great opportunity to just get away from, uh, from the message, I guess. Um, even though that's not what I was thinking at the time. And I got to talk to a lot of real Christian people uh, who really wanted to serve God, talk about God, and and really served the kids that were at the camp. Um, I know one of my friends was um, teaching them how to write uh, rap 
and hip-hop songs and recording it and I thought wow like I can see that God's using this and that would never be allowed in our church uh, and I could see that the director really loved the kids that were coming to the camp and um, we would have services and testimonies and stuff and I think at the end of that summer I was just so impacted by all the other Christians that I met there that uh, when mom picked me up from at the end of the summer and she said Anna what did you learn this summer and I said well I learned that if all Christians were in the message nothing would get done <laughs> and she was a little surprised at that nothing would get done to help those people who don't have Christ right yeah 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 so that was the beginning and I think at the end of that summer I kind of saw the message as just a different group of Christians but I didn't see us as being above anybody uh, a year later, I was teaching English overseas with a group of Christians, and it was kind of the same thing. I We shared our testimonies, and I realized, like, wow, God is really powerfully working in their lives. Uh, we went to a church over there that was not a message church, and God really spoke to me strongly, and I realized that we did not have a corner on the truth. And that it wasn't just that they were, you know, like I heard said, doing the best with what they had, uh, that they had really uh, had a relationship with God. And so after that, I actually shared with some of those teachers kind of objectively about, you know, here's some of the attitudes and things in my church that I really don't agree with. Um, and that was the first time I was really objective about the message and, and what I saw in the church. But after that... So, I, I mean, for me, I, I look and I see, you know, Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 10, that the apostles, when he talked to them, Paul said, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. And that's one thing that I actually never saw in the message was remembering the poor and doing good to those who really, in fact, if someone wasn't doing very well, it was a major, major feat to actually give somebody some money because they weren't weren't well off. And we, we never were good to the poor. And particularly, we would never do anything outside of the message church. You were gonna say, Anna? Yeah, well, I kind of, uh, I think, you know, we wouldn't have said this, but I think the motto was, we only take care of our own and we don't even do a good job of that. So, um, yeah, and, and I think I saw that and that was kind of the beginning of... The beginning of what caused yeah, you to before have... Before I thought about any of the doctrinal issues, um, that was the thing that really bothered me. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Cindy, what about you? Well, I think for me it was the first kind of um, glimmer of wondering, like, what what is happening here? was maybe about four or five years before we left. It was like we'd gone in a full circle and we were back to every service was preaching God sent a prophet. I'm going, um, I think I've heard this before. Like, is there anything outside of this that's gonna take us any further? <laughs> or are we just gonna go around in circles all this time? Yeah. 
So, uh, and then finally, when we realized how much, um, how much sin had been covered up and how we'd been really betrayed by the ministry and the people we loved, yeah, and that for me that it, shocked me so deeply that it broke my trust completely in many many ways, and it took me a long time to actually process that and get over it. It was just like it just well, I mean, for me, the thing that what I thought was it was very terrible that sin was covered over and that pastor who is well recognized and well respected by you know all through the message that he would lie to me to my face that was difficult and really impacted my trust in the ministry in general but i think even more problematic for me was the fact that all through the message people were aware of what happened and no one would say anything against this terrible sin. Many ministers came out and supported our pastor. I, I mean, I really couldn't comprehend that someone could have something that we trashed the Catholic Church for. The Catholic Church is terrible because they covered up <clears throat> sexual abuse of, of minor children and we trashed the Catholic Church. But then these ministers, when they saw it happen inside their own ranks, wouldn't say anything and actually came out in defense of the people who had done the cover-up. And other ministers just ducked their head down and hoped nobody would say anything and they wouldn't talk. And they said, no, we don't want to talk. And if you want to talk about it, then you can just leave because we're not going to talk about it. It's in another church and that church is sovereign and we don't care about sin inside the message. And I knew there that something was terribly wrong. Yeah, that was really shocking. And I think for me, the thing that really floored me is that the people who are responsible for what happened, I did not find any genuine humility coming forth out of out of that whole situation and that to me was just like said so much like there's there is no some if there's no humility then something's seriously wrong in many many ways but i think you know when you love people you can't believe a lot of things at first that you find out and think, surely this can't be true the way it's been told. But then when you find out it's worse than that, and then there's no humility, you just don't feel like there's any trust left within you. And no, no. How, where does your trust end and where does it start? I mean, it's just like... I think our natural reaction is to say, I don't trust anything or anybody anymore. And for and, me... Yeah, and, and, and I think on the, on the trust side too, there are people that stayed in the church because they actually wouldn't, they kind of plug their ears and say, peas and carrots, peas and carrots, or whatever thing you want to say. <laughs> so that you, but you don't want to hear, you don't even want to look. It's not, so you read the Bible and the Bible says, Receive not an accusation against an elder except with two or three witnesses. We had witnesses, but nobody even wanted to go there. They just said, I don't care. This can't be right. I'm not going to believe it. And it's just like everything that they say with respect to the 
problems we found in the, in the message. I, it can't be true. I don't want to believe it. I'm just going to plug my ears. And these people who are saying these things must be very bad people. And they won't even consider that might be true. So I think for me that what really um, sealed it was when you made those calls one day to um, Perry Green and you talked to him and were asking him about the Municipal Bridge and saying, do you have any historical evidence of this prophecy of the section of bridge falling into the river? And so I heard your side of the conversation, but after that, when you called George Smith and asked him and said, you're my last hope, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find something to put on the website about historical proof of this prophecy and I can't find anything and for that conversation I had my ear to the phone as well and when I heard George say no brother Rod you're right it never happened like that sealed it for me it never happened and you've been telling us all these years leading us on even if you didn't tell us in so many words you have led us on to believe that knowing that you were leading us that way and not just and, and him, I, but I, many others. I must say, I was very thankful to George because he was honest. Yes. Which you don't find yes, very often. it was amazing. And Not that I think he would admit that anymore. I've no. tried to call him, but we have been unable. No. He doesn't want to talk to me, and I I'm can sure understand he, that. I can understand that. That would be humiliating for him. But, you know, for me, I mean, I did hear him say that, and I think he was being totally honest that there was no proof and then when we went further and then when the people who did the searching for vindication site did their extra 400 hours or something of searching for all that evidence that about what actually did happen there it, it just came out that you know that none of that was true so then what else is not true well it's this i think a philosopher once said the problem isn't that you lied to me. The problem is that I can never believe anything you say again. That's really the problem. Yeah, and I think that that was the thing that tipped me over the edge. Like I, I you know, over those two years, kind of, I guess would be 2010, 2011, I was becoming more and more open to um, non-message forms of, Christianity um, but the thing that really tipped me over the edge and I knew I needed to leave was the uh, the bridge vision the cloud not being what he said it was and the plagiarism from Clarence Larkin yeah. and I have a very low tolerance for being lied to in the first place after those three things I'm like you know what I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> well, the truth be known, I mean, and Anna and Cindy, I mean, both of you were present in our home when we were discussing all of these things. We do, we'd be, we were trying to prove the message true. Yeah. And, and you saw all the stuff that we were finding, that Jeremy was finding, and we would, we'd, we'd have dinner at our place on the weekends and we'd start talking about this stuff. And nobody could believe what we were finding. It was just, it was astounding. And, and I had, I struggled at first to believe that what we were finding was actually true. 
Well, we didn't want to believe that it was either because it really upsets your whole life and we kind of were in a very comfortable lifestyle in the message. And so having your foundations all crumbling underneath you was very uncomfortable. And that's why it was hard to look at. Yeah. It's hard to receive. We try to keep our podcast to a half hour or less. So we will bring this month's episode to a close. But please come back in one month for the conclusion of the interview with Cindy and Anna Bergen, my two favorite ladies in the whole wide world. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you are welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week and thanks for listening. You are so beautiful. See